0: Let's go ahead and pray. Um, Father, we come to you today, as, as I always say every time I speak, God, I, I am not interested in the things that I bring to the table. Holy Spirit, we are interested in the things that you bring to the table. Father, as we go into your word, Lord, I pray that it does a transformative work. As we talk about your gospel, Lord, I pray that it goes down like medicine and fixes the things that are broken inside of us, God. Uh, when we come away today, Father, everything that, that I bring that is not uh, influenced by your Holy Spirit, God, let it be easily forgotten. God, let us keep onto those pearls of wisdom that, that you are dropping into our heart this morning, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, I want to tell you a story about a gray town. See, before like the 60s, I think, life was in black and white. Isn't that true? Um, so this gray town, imagine a gray town, urban sprawl that stretches out to the horizon. You can get on the tallest building in this gray town, You see for miles and miles and miles and miles, and you can't ever see the edge of the town. So I I grew up in a city, I, I love being in a city, but I know that someone looking at this, this is like hell on earth to them. Now imagine this gray city. It's stuck in this miserable rat race of life. It's always raining, it's stuck in this twilight. You can't tell if it's about to be dawn or about to be sunset. Um, something about this town, it's dark enough to where it feels dreary, but it's not dark enough for the storefronts to feel welcoming. It's that in-between phase where your eyes have a hard time adjusting. It's always rainy. But the funny thing about the town, even though that it's so big, it's huge population, but you can walk for hundreds of miles before you find the first home that's lived in. You have street upon street upon street of empty houses, Now, there are people that used to live in the houses, but you know how it is. You move into a place, and anytime you move into a place in a city, you have neighbors, and neighbors are just impossible. So you have one disagreement, or the neighbor at the end of the hall starts cooking something that smells awful, or your neighbors are even fighting amongst themselves. And so it's a whole lot easier just to move away than it is to deal with problems. So you get up, and you move further outside. Well, inside the city is a little bit too cramped. So let's move towards the edge. Well, when you get towards the edge, there's still people there. So get in a fight with them. You don't resolve anything. So you move further out towards the edge to eventually you get to a part of the town that there's nobody at. There's a whole cul-de-sac full of empty mansions. (sighs) Peace at last. But even when you move away from your neighbors, uh, you still have your family. You spend enough time with your family and it's like, well, kind of prefer the neighbors over you. Can you not hear yourself eating cereal? Do you not know that you sound like that? It's a whole lot easier instead of resolving problems, It's a whole lot easier just to move out from your family. Get rid of the kids, who needs kids? Have you seen kids? Horrible. So send them, you know, fix them a lunch. You know, you wanna be compassionate, fix them a lunch. Kick him out the door. Go find another place. Till eventually, you don't have a wife, you don't have neighbors, you don't have kids, no husband. You're alone. (sighs) Peace at last. Do you think the misery lightens up any? See, one of the funny things about this gray town is that the people are the town. The reason why it's easy just to move into a new place is all the buildings are imaginary. You can imagine whatever beautiful mansion you want to live in, but all of us know that imaginary doors never keep out the cold. An imaginary roof has never stopped the rain from beating on our heads. So when you bump into somebody, you don't bring up the fact that they're cold and wet. It's rude. Would you like someone come up to you and it's like, oh, wow. You look cold and wet. It's more polite just to eventually think, this is what mankind's supposed to be like. I don't know anybody that's not cold and wet, so this is just the natural state of being. Well, every once in a while, the people in this great town are provided with a free vacation. Free vacation. But once you've moved to the edge of the town, who wants to walk all the way to the middle of the town to the bus stop? It'd take an eternity just to find out where the bus stop was. And who wants to put that much effort into a free vacation? How good could a free vacation really be? Who in this room has ever been promised free cruise? I'm not going to get out of my routine in life to track down a free bus trip. A bus trip, at least it could be good transportation. But there's a few people that get out in the streets, make the trek towards the bus stop, not, not very many people, but you have a, a line full of people. And the bus driver wants as many people to be able to make it to the bus stop as possible, so it takes them forever to get there. The people that are standing in the line waiting for the bus to show up, oh. Does the bus driver expect me to wait around forever? I've got things that I gotta do. I've got arguments that I've gotta make. I've got people to get mad at. Can't wait around in this line all day. So a lot of people, even though they made the trek to the bus stop, leave just because the, man, this bus line stuff's for the birds. The people that stay in the line, oh, there's their neighbors again. Old grudges come back to haunt them. Fights break out in the middle of the line. So those people leave too. So eventually when the bus shows up, you've never seen anything like this bus. It is the most gaudy thing that you've ever seen. Imagine a great town. And the bus that shows up is made out of pure gold. It's a little excessive, don't you think? There's like radiant lights shining out of the bus. How arrogant would that bus driver have to be to drive a bus like that? Have you ever run into somebody that's like drives one of those trucks? You think, well, how big of a truck do you need? And the big trucks are never covered in mud. It's like, well, why why do you need big muddy tires like that if they're perfect? I'm not judging, I'm just saying. Some of us are tempted to make judgments sometimes. We're like, what happens if someone is in front of Goodwill uh, driving a Bentley? Show off? Well, eventually, bus driver gets there, opens up the the, uh, doors, people file in, lots of empty seats. There's enough room on the bus for a ton of people, but only a few people show up. So imagine you sit down in this bus, Gray everything except the bus. You look out and the bus rattles into life. And instead of like trembling along the streets, this bus starts flying up through the clouds. It's a bit much. Flying through the clouds. Is the bus driver too good for our streets? Arrogance. So eventually you look down. It's one of my favorite things about getting in a plane. You see the city shrink beneath you. Now imagine this town that's stretched out to horizon to horizon, millions and millions of miles. You can't see the edge of this town because the town has no edge because people can't live next to each other. But even a town that big, eventually you see it shrink off into the distance and it's this little speck on the ground. Well, that's what's happening on the ground, but on the clouds, you know, it's just gray clouds. It's more gray. The least the bus driver could do was give us some good scenery to look at I cannot believe that I made this trip to stare at gray windows with people that I don't want to be around. It's not the most entertaining vacation ever. But what seems like an eternity goes by, and the gray rain curtain of this world gets rolled back, and everything turns to silver glass, then you see it. There's a far green country underneath the bus, There's a sun swiftly rising on the east. It's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Imagine seeing your entire life in shades of gray and then all of a sudden seeing that beautiful sunrise. You've been waiting your whole life and the sun has never peaked over the horizon and then all of a sudden, there it is. Bus driver finally safely lands the bus on the grass and this green country is even harsher than the gray town. I mean, the gray town had rain and had cold, but it's nothing like this nasty, it's so bright. The least the bus driver could do is give us some sunglasses. So when he lets people out, they find that the grass is like walking on gravel. I hate Like I've got tender feet. They're awful, my dad made fun of me so much. Like when you walk across gravel, doing that thing, wusses do that. Well, I'm a wuss. Well, these people that are walking across the grass are feeling like that. Some guy is hungry, traveled that whole trip and the bus driver never served an in-flight meal. Ugh. So he goes and finds an apple and finds the apple is so heavy that he can't even pick it up. Imagine what it would be like to try to eat one of those apples. it breaks your teeth out. The arrogance of the people on this vacation. So you can't eat the food, you can't walk on the ground. There's a lot of people that don't even exit the bus. Imagine what would happen if a summer shower sprang up. If you can't walk across the ground and you can't eat an apple, a summer shower would be like a rain of machine gun fire. So there's a lot of people that just stay inside the bus the entire time. And if you read uh, C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce, which is what all this is from, I recommend it wholeheartedly. It's one of my favorite books that C.S. Lewis ever wrote. The rest of the book is story after story of angels coming from heaven's front porch meeting these people that have traveled there from the gray town. And they're trying to convince these people to stay. I know that the grass feels uncomfortable right now, but if you'll stay here a couple of days, you'll find that your feet grow more solid. You can tread upon the grass. You can eat the apples. You can dance in the rain. But the reason why it's so hard to walk on the grass, now imagine this. The figments of your imagination can't affect your life, right? Like, you might think that there's a monster in the closet or under your bed, but there's not really a monster there. A monster is not going to actually come out and eat you. A figment of your imagination can't affect reality. What we call real compared to heaven is just a figment of heaven's imagination. We are so insubstantial of what we call reality is so worthless that compared to heaven, we can't even bend a blade of grass. That's the real world. And when we go to heaven, we're just like ghosts, like wraiths. And the truth is always harsh to bare feet. Okay, now keep all of this stuff in your head. These angels and people that have gone on before are coming out to heaven, trying to convince these people from the gray town to stay. Well, everybody that's from the gray town is obsessed over something. They've, they've got their, their thing that they're worried about. One lady won't go further on into the, the city of heaven until God sends her ex-husband back to him because if she has all of eternity to work on her, her husband, I think that she could really make him into the person that she's supposed to be. If God would only let me have my husband back, I can really, he was only barely starting to turn into what he was supposed to be uh, called for. But God, if you will give me my husband back, I can really do a work on him if I have all of eternity. One mother refuses to go into the city because her son didn't meet her at the bus stop. And she said, well, I'm not gonna go in there if he doesn't love me enough to come get me. And the guy that was talking to her is like, but dear lady, I can introduce him to you today. He is on his way to the city. We can make it there. I'm not going anywhere. There's... One shriveled, bent person that's holding the chain of an actor. And when he meets his wife that has gone on before, his wife meets him and says, oh, will you please forgive me for everything that I did wrong in my life? I thought I loved you, but I didn't love you anything like what real love is. Will you forgive me of everything that I did wrong? And this short, bent, uh, twisted person doesn't respond to her. He's paid an actor that he carries around on a chain. Actor, act. And so the actor has this big grandiose voice. Oh, dear lady, of course I forgive you. How miserable your experience in heaven must have been without me. And the lady goes, well, my my experience in heaven wasn't miserable without you. I didn't miss you, I have heaven. And the man gets the actor, you didn't miss me? How dare you not miss me and use his pity to try to manipulate the woman into loving him. Well, every time he tries to use pity to get this actor to manipulate his ex-wife, the man shrinks down upon himself, gets smaller and smaller and smaller till eventually this man is invisible to the naked eye. And so this actor is holding on to this chain where this little invisible man is dangling on the end. See, a lot of the times we have these obsessions and we have these things that we focus on and we think that we have the obsession. We think that we have the addiction, but in the end, we become so small that the addiction winds up holding a chain that we're dangling off the end of. We have feuds, we have fights, we have arguments. Do you have a grudge match against somebody that you think that you're nursing, that you're in charge of the grudge match, but at the end of the day, you are dangling from the end of a chain. So I want to use some of these symbols, and it's a fictional story. That's not actually how heaven works, by the way. But when we obsess over things that have nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven, we shrink down upon ourselves. We become less of who we were meant to be. And I want to use some of these symbols to kind of point out some of the traps and the pitfalls that we run into as as the church, as believers, as cookvillians, as humans. One of the things that we run into is these religious games that we play with each other. remember when the the Pharisees, oh, you're awesome, Liz. Remember when the Pharisees would come up to Jesus and when they would try to trap him? We have the son of God dwelling bodily in front of somebody. Imagine what we would do if Jesus walked into the room physically. I can see you. I saw you raise people from the grave. They didn't care about any of that. They asked him about dumb religious things. Well, is it appropriate to heal on the Sabbath? Who cares? And then he eventually tells the Pharisees, woe to you hypocrites and Pharisees. You've got all of these things lined up and by them, you think that you've got eternal life, but you've missed the mark completely. When you convert somebody, you are converting them to this dumb religion of rules and regulations. And you make somebody else twice the son of hell you are. You don't even come into the gate, but you block anybody else from getting in the right way either. He says that you guys tithe on dill and mint. Imagine like one mint leaf, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Well, this mint leaf goes to the church. Imagine tithing on your dill, but he says you've completely ignored mercy and justice. You've missed the weightier matters of the law. A lot of the times when we come in to the church, we get fixated on dumb religious rules and regulations that have nothing to do with the gospel. When we change something about the order of service, if we do four songs instead of three. If we do two songs instead of three, people have an aneurysm. We mess with like the offering and people have an aneurysm. We change communion and people have an aneurysm. Now, if I can just be honest and real with us, not one person has ever left this church over us not taking care of the widows enough. Every person that I've had an argument with at church is, I can't believe you did this, I can't believe you did this. And I I get it, but I wanna warn us today, as we focus on dumb religious games, we shrink down upon ourselves. God doesn't call us to be this little person He calls us to be these grand uh, bringers of light. But when we get caught up in religious games, we are acting like somebody that we're not. The second thing that we get kind of caught up in is forgiveness. Have you ever nursed a grudge? Have you ever taken care of a grudge? Have you ever fed a grudge? We nurse a grudge. Have you ever bumped into somebody and it's like, hey, I haven't seen you in 20 years. And the first thing they bring up is how someone did something to them 20 years ago. You have family members that can't get over something that happened five years ago. And so instead of them grumbling, they become a grumble. They have abandoned their identity as a son of God. Have you ever said, man, I'm, I'm having a bad day. You're distant from that bad day. You are a person that is having a bad day, but if you stack enough of them together, you are eventually a bringer of bad days we shrink away from our identity and we become someone that we were never intended to be. Remember the older brother in the story of the prodigal son where the son came home and the father forgave him and the older brother stood out on the, the front porch. I'm not going to go in there and eat with you because you never threw me a party. And the dad's like, I am throwing a party. Do you want to come inside? He's like, no. Can't believe that I've worked my fingers to the bone for you and you've never done anything for me? And the father's like, I've never not done anything for you. I've given over to you at my entire farm. Everything is yours. Do you want to come in and eat any of your food? No. And at the end of time, we think that God is in heaven, like kicking people out of heaven into hell, like I can't stand you, you're sinful, get out, of, get out of here, we even say that, that God is so holy that he can't endure the presence of sin and that's garbage. God showed up in the middle of sin, dwelled bodily with sinners, it's not God kicking people out of heaven, we stand on the front porch of heaven and refuse to go in. Everybody that is ever going to be in hell is in hell because they chose to be there. They got the invitation, the doors are wide open I'm not going in there. They act like all the people in the gray town when the bus driver shows up. Imagine that arrogance. All those Christians are so arrogant. It's like, you can believe whatever lie you want to believe. You can nurse whatever grudge. You can uh, harbor every wound that you ever want to be. You can be the most offended person in the face of the planet. The only person that you're hurting is yourself. The party is wild. It is lit. I'm hip. I'm with it. The party is available if we want to go in, but we've got to let go of our obsession on our grudges to be able to get into the party. But really the only pit that we ever run into is the pit of selfishness. Like unforgiveness is just selfishness. These religious games that we have is just selfishness. At the end of the day, I want my way. Have you ever seen a kid lose his mind in a store because he didn't get what he wanted? Have you ever seen an adult lose their mind because they didn't get what they wanted? Have you ever been to a little league game? <laughs> it's like you are a grown person and you are having an embolism over the fact that a kid, like he's got a helmet over his eyes, he can't even see where he's going. We flatter ourselves to say that we are more mature, m- more mature than a, a little kid, we're not. We as adults, our temper tantrums look a little bit different. We might not fall to the ground kicking and screaming most of the time. If I go without lunch, it's very close for me to fall to the ground and start crying. But I want my way. With our religious games, I want it my way. With our unforgiveness, I've been hurt and I want my way. I want my rights. And we focus on this little thing that's in front of us. Meanwhile, heaven is trying to let us, like let go of your hands. I will have so many more gifts to give you, but I, don't have, I can't get these gifts in your hands because you're holding on to something dumb and insignificant. If you would just let that obsession go, if that guy would ever let his manipulation uh, or his emotional manipulation go, heaven would have given him true love. But he's so warped and twisted and bent on himself that he can't ever just let those hands go. We can't ever let forgiveness go. We can't ever let our need, our desire to be right go for long enough for heaven to like give us what we actually want, what we actually need. C.S. Lewis later in the book goes on and says, there are only two people in the end. There are people that say to God, have thy way. And then there are people that, to whom God says, have thine own way. And I promise you, we want to be in the first. There's a verse in James that says, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that rage and battle within you? You desire what you don't have, so you kill. You covet, but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. Has ever, has, oh, of course we have. It's a dumb thing to say. Have you ever? not got what you want, and so you started a fight to get it? Have you started a fight this morning to get what you want on the way to church? I don't want to listen to that radio station. You never give me what I want. Verse three, when you ask, or, um, sorry, verse two, you quarrel and fight you don't have because you don't ask God. You don't have because you don't ask God. We are focused on forcing reality. We are, forced, or we are focusing on getting what I want that we don't ever look our eyes up to see what heaven is trying to give us. Remember the, the ghost that I was talking about that shrank down upon himself so at the end he wasn't even visible. He was this like little micro dot of pity and manipulation at the end of that chain. Remember, when we focus on our obsession, on getting my way, we twist and we shrink down upon ourselves so in the end, we can't even be seen. We can't make a difference in the world. We're too small. The main character in the story goes and asks his guide, well, why didn't she ever show up at the gray town to go rescue him? And the guide responded, She's too big. She can't fit into the gray town. Well, what do you mean she can't fit into the gray town? And the guide shows him where the gray town is. And he says that the bus wasn't traveling from point A to point B, but instead the bus was sitting there growing in size. It wasn't that the bus was flying up in the sky so it looked like the town was shrinking in the distance. The bus was growing and he gets a blade of grass and gets down on the ground and points to this guy's hell And it's this crack in the earth. It's like all of the gray town fit into that little crack. Yep. When we focus on our obsessions, when we focus on our selfishness, we get down so much that our entire world is devastated over the smallest little thing. Have you ever gotten perspective on a problem and then realized I was flipping out about that? When the guy asked the guide, that entire town can fit into that crack? The guide responded, yes, all of hell is smaller than a pebble of your earthly world, but it is smaller than one atom of this world, the real world. Look at Yon Butterfly. If he swallowed all of hell, hell would not be big enough to do him any harm or to give him any taste. The man replied, well, it's certainly big enough when you're in it, sir. Ah, yet all loneliness, anger, hatred, envies, and itchings that hell contains, if it were rolled into one single experience and put on the scale against the least moment of joy that's found in heaven, imagine that. Every hell on earth that you've ever experienced, if it all was condensed and rolled into one moment, it would have no weight that could even be registered at all. Bad cannot succeed even as being bad surely as good is able to be good. If all of hell's miseries together entered into the consciousness of wee yellow bird that's sitting on the bow there, they would be swallowed up without a trace, as if one drop of ink had fallen into the great ocean, which your terrestrial Pacific is, is itself only a molecule. I see, said I at last. She couldn't fit into hell. He nodded. There's not room enough for her. Hell could not open its mouth wide enough to contain her. And couldn't she make herself small like Alice? Nothing like small enough. This is my point. For the damned soul is nearly nothing. It is shrunk and shut up on itself. Good beats upon the damned incessantly as sound waves beat upon the ears of the deaf, but they cannot receive it. Their fists are clenched. Their teeth are clenched their eyes fast shut. First they will not, and in the end they cannot. Open up their hands for gifts, their mouths for food, or their eyes to see, so that no one can ever reach them? Only the greatest of all can make himself small enough to enter into their hell. For the higher the thing is, the lower it can go. A man can sympathize with a horse, but a horse cannot sympathize with a rat. Only one has descended into their town. And so my whole point is this. When we focus on things that are not the kingdom of heaven, we shrink down. And the problems that we're facing become enormous. But God never intended us to face our problems when we're shrunk down like that. That's why the angels were trying to convince the people to stay. If you would stay here long enough, you would grow more real. And the problems that you're facing now, you could tread upon. I know that forgiveness feels uncomfortable, but imagine forgiveness as being uncomfortable as that grass was, walking across gravel. But if you'll stay there a couple of days, if you'll stay in forgiveness for a couple of days, you will find your feet growing strong and being able to walk on the grass of forgiveness. If your selfishness, if being unselfish feels uncomfortable at first, I know it hurts. I know it feels like this huge lead weight apple that I can't eat that. I can't eat unselfishness. But if you would stay around unselfishness long enough, you'll find that you're able to eat that fruit. And when it goes down, unselfishness will change everything about us. So it's not us going from here to heaven. It's about letting our perspective, when we get impacted with the gospel, it's letting the gospel grow us to where when the problems that we used to be railroaded by, you can walk across. As we're about to walk into 2019, I want to warn us, not that a train's gonna come like tear your house up or that a tornado's gonna come rip up your front yard, but I wanna warn us, things that we have held on to, things that we've obsessed about, grudges that we have contained, if we don't let them go, the giants that are in 2019 are gonna wipe the floor with us. The races that we have to run next year are hard enough on their own without 2018's weights holding us down. Let it go. I hate that movie, (laughs) but let it go. I promise it feels uncomfortable at first, but if you'll try it for a couple of days, you'll find yourself growing more strong and able to let that stuff go. If there's someone that you're having a hard time forgiving, forgive them, drop that stuff. And then you'll see that it's not something that you're a, a fan of. It's not a grudge that you created. It is remnants of hell that you are trying to hold on to and it's not compatible with heaven. And if you will let that stuff go, your hands are free to receive heaven's gifts, but heaven will never force you to to drop that stuff. It is only an offer. The door is only open. God will never force you to show up at the party, but he will open up the door. And if we don't let that stuff go, first we choose not to let it go. And if we hold on to it long enough, in the end, we can't let it go. We don't wanna be like that. You don't wanna be like Ebenezer Scrooge. While there's still time for you to let it go, let that grudge go. Let that fight, let that argument go. That thing that just eats you up inside, let it go. And you'll find that when you let that stuff go, you will receive a gift from heaven that outmatches that and all of the experience of hell that we had here on earth compared to heaven won't even seem like anything. So let it go. And go on Amazon and buy The Great Divorce. It's a great book. That's a plug, but I I do think that we all need to read it because C.S. Lewis is amazing. Um, So let's go ahead and stand up. We've got um, some snacks outside. We have got a few more hours of 2018. Let's clean up any messes that we made this year. We've got a few hours. Send that text. Be quick to apologize. Make things right as we're about to go into this next year. All right? So, Father, we come to you today. I don't come to you with the ability to, uh, to fix myself. I don't have, come to you with the ability to work really hard at forgiveness. But, Father, I do come to you today with the desire to let that stuff drop out of our hands. Father, today we ask that we, uh, you would send us the gift of heaven, that you would heal our brokenness, that you would give us medicine for our eyes, that we would be able to see ourselves and each other rightly, God. Father, I ask that you would forgive us this morning of every decision that we've made to look inwardly on ourselves, to become twisted. You've not done that. The enemy's not done that to us. I've twisted myself up. And today I want to apologize, Father, Father, forgive us. Give us a new mind. Let us repent. Let us turn away from the things that we used to do and turn wholeheartedly on the the things that we need to be doing this year. Transform us, God. God, bring us up higher so that we could see further. Let us grow up and let us stop obsessing about dumb stuff that we think is so important, but at the end of the day, it it doesn't even matter compared to heaven. Father, we bless you today.